When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Are you a football fan looking for the latest analysis and news on the Jacksonville Jaguars? You're in the right place. Lock and deal, baby. Welcome to the Gen Jag Podcast with your host, Jordan DeLugo. Move those chains. Here's your host, Jordan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 34th episode of the Gen Jag Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan DeLugo. I'm joined by my co-hosts. Hunter Evans and Scott Klein, and a guest host, our first guest host, and our second ever guest of the show, Richard Miller. How you doing today, Richard? I'm great, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's you know you you had the bar so high with Mike K, and I'm just gonna bring it down all the way to the floor. <laughs> no, I mean Richard's a local celebrity in his own right, the voice of the UNF Osprey. Ospreys, excuse me. He also hosts his own Jaguars podcast, the All Jags podcast. He's a colleague of mine at River City Rogue. I don't know if we've ever talked River City Rogue on here. I think we've brought it up a couple times, but awesome new website where we just break down a lot of Jacksonville sports, culture, new movies coming out, anything you can think of. You can find it on River City Rogue for the most part, from obscure local sports to, like I said, movie reviews, restaurant reviews, all sorts of fun stuff. Um... Our mock drafts have been pretty popular lately. Yes, absolutely. We've done a lot of mock drafts on River City Rogue. We've done breakfast mock draft. That was really fun. Uh, the best things to do in Jacksonville throughout the year. What are some of the other really fun we, ones? We had did? Summer Blockbuster a couple yeah. weeks ago. We'll have uh, our, our power rankings mock draft of favorite candies. So <laughs> working on that right yeah. now. <laughs> and, and the best part about mock drafts, any of them, is that it, re- it receives so much hate, which is yeah. so much fun <laughs> to get on social media. Hey, your opinions don't match my opinions. <laughs> exactly. Now, um, now, you can find River City Rogue at rivercityrogue.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at River City Rogue. So go give them a, give them a follow. That definitely help us out over there, and make sure to follow Richard Miller. You can follow him on Twitter. What's your handle, Miller on Sports? Yes, correct. At Miller on Sports on Twitter, Instagram. A little bit of Instagram. Not I a whole lot of Instagram. Not too much. Posts. Okay. You kind of when we first met, you gave me the rundown of what I was doing wrong on Instagram, and I feel like that frightened me away from it. Yeah. Although it's very wonderful. A little bit of Facebook as well, but primarily River City Rogue. <laughs> And how can people find your All Jacks podcast? That's available on River City Rogue. Yes, we've got SoundCloud, so we do that. We'll have it up on iTunes pretty soon as well. So kind of like y'all did, 
where we have an intro outro added that most recently but awesome. it's pretty much just me spewing my 20 minutes of jaguars thoughts every monday and then scott manzi and myself we're starting a local jacksonville media podcast right so we're gonna have somebody whether it's like behind the scenes maybe a photographer uh, somebody maybe over at Tencent XL because they're having their 10-year anniversary next Friday. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk to people, probably Mike K, like how do you get started in the business every time you get knocked down, stuff like that. So Jordan, I know you're very creative, you guys as well, but we're accepting any title <clears throat> ideas. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got a few that we're kind of floating around, but you, you're the man when it comes to, to good titles. Yeah. I mean, I don't not to toot my own horn, but I did come up with River City Road. You did? I'm stoked about that still. Still sometimes when I think about that, I'm like, that is really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Every morning. I am Every pretty morning. good at what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But moving on from all tooting our own horns, I want to talk about some Jaguars football. That's what we're here to do. Of course, we can only do that because of Bold City Brewery, who's the one and only sponsor of the Gen Jag podcast. You can find them online at BoldCityBrewery.com, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at BoldCityBrewery. And as they always do, they provided us with some uh, fun beers from their brand new downtown location right on East Bay Street, right when you get off the Main Street Bridge. Uh, We've got a couple beers we've already popped open here. We've got a Rye IPA, 7% alcohol by volume. We can't remember what the initials are, but it's PFS, and we know it has something to do with Frankenstein. So it's it's out there. It's a good beer for sure. And we've already opened up Big John's Apricot Wheat, which is an easy-drinking wheat ale made and named after the patriarch of the Miller family, which is the owners of Bold City Brewery, Big John. Uh, They add a bit of apricot to the mix, and it makes a brew that's good for summer, hot days. It's really light, easy to drink. So, yeah, big shout-out to Bold City Brewery. Thanks to them, as always. You can find myself on Twitter, at Jordan DeLugo. Find Scott Klein on Twitter, at ScottKlein1, and Hunter Evans with his new Twitter handle that has less underscores. Less underscores. (laughs) At CoachH underscore Evans. Got it memorized already. Yeah. Happy about that. And make sure to check out ginjag.com, all the latest news and analysis, videos, podcasts. We've got it all going on over there. And check out Generation Jaguar also on Facebook and Instagram, at Generation Jaguar, on Twitter, at Generation Jag. And without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the meat of the show here. We've got Bortles given an ultimatum by Doug Marone earlier this offseason. We're going to get into that. Uh, Jalen Ramsey has another offseason with a minor surgery. Obviously, you'd rather not see that, but we'll get into that more. Training camp dates have been set. There's going to be several practices open to the public. And we'll take a look at AFC, AFC South backfields, and we'll get into a few other things for you as well. We'll finish off the show with our Keep One, Let One Walk, our brand new segment that we've been rolling with the last couple weeks. So, Richard, before we get into all the news and notes that we want to talk about, my question for you, we've talked a lot about the Jaguars lately, and as a fellow Jaguars podcaster, I want to know what your level of confidence is this season compared to seasons in the past, specifically over the past couple years when there's actually been a little bit of hype in the offseason, 
seems like maybe this season the hype should be there, but it's not as much because fans have been just trained to not believe in the hype, you know, mm-hmm. lately with with the fail, failed seasons in 2016 and 15. So where do you stand on that? I, I think I'm in that B minus C plus range. I, I think you've got to be thrilled about Tom Coughlin. Kind of the retread of Doug Marone is like a meh, but it's also in comparison going from 2015 to 2016, where everybody's amped about Blake Bortles. Yeah, he can only go up as long as you protect him. Things are great, Chris Ivory. But then I'm I'm pretty excited about Michael Rivera. I think he can bring some new things to this offense. But Calais Campbell, I mean, you pair him up with Malik Jackson, he's probably one of the more exciting free agent acquisitions Jaguars have had, probably under Dave Caldwell. So I think that's one of the things that kind of keeps me in the middle of the road. But then also earlier this week when PFF had all the close games and how the Jags were 2-8 and eight in those games, yeah. where you look at it, they went on a seven-game losing streak after that awful game that has just burned into my skull October 27th in Nashville, Ugh. where I fired Gus Bradley for the 12th time. Yeah. <laughs> but during that stretch, the Jaguars were in every single game. It was anywhere from four to ten points. And you look at those swings, I mean, one of the games that I, I think y'all even played last week with a couple of uh, highlights was a game at Kansas City, where it's a five-point loss, but the Chiefs now have five of their offensive starters. Yeah. You know, at one point, Chris Ivory had a great game, but fumbled with like seven and a half, eight minutes left. So still, the game of football is That's not that complex. That's that Parnell game. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Oh. D Ford just there were four or five plays on highlights that they showed, and the right side is just like, back up, back up, back up. Here comes Parnell running into his quarterback. Yeah. So it comes down to a few games, and I think with Marone, you see such a complete opposite in terms of his, his press conferences. I think we're going to see that in-game management. So, I mean, you can't get much worse than Gus Bradley, but I think Marone is really going to get these guys the aggressiveness, the accountability. So I, I think that's still... A positive there, but I'm. It's still the Jaguars as right. of late, so I'm. I'm staying. Don't get my hopes too much, too high. So I'm in that five to seven win range. Okay. Now, do you think just the fact that someone else besides Gus Bradley, not even forget that it's Doug Marone, just the fact that it's not Gus Bradley, should give fans more optimism? I mean, you saw what the team did without Gus Bradley last year. They looked pretty solid in two games. Well, and I think it's Miles Jack in the middle. I think that's one thing. That I think For me, that's something you had to do as a team. You draft a guy in the second round, you got to get him in there as a starter. But it's it comes with a little bit of risk, in my opinion. Plus, Lesney manned the middle so well last year. He had one of his best seasons he's ever had. So, Def- Definitely, but... It's one of the first years in a while where I feel comfortable with the linebacking core. Blair Brown, I think Even he's going to be... Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's really nice. Telvin Smith, I know we'll talk about him a little bit later on. But this has been one of the first drafts in a while where you see these guys getting plucked and you're going, oh, D.D. Westbrook, you know, now he's going to bump somebody else off the roster when it goes down to 53. So this draft, probably since Del Rio, has been the first time in quite some time where you're going... Man, this team is really getting guys where if you look towards the bottom of the roster, you're going to lose good players. Yeah. Yeah, there haven't been really a lot of guys where you'll, you'll see a guy here every now and then where he'll get picked up like the defensive end that went to Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, 
last Tyron year. Holmes. Yeah, Tyron he, Holmes. He played well. You know, Dallas they always... They signed a couple of our guys last yeah. year that we cut. Dallas always grabs a couple of our... Like, George Selby in years past has went out, but... Didn't they grab Ryan Davis, too? <laughs> yeah. And they had grabbed Mincy yeah. in the past. Yeah, yeah they, but normally, they like... So we took Barry Church. Yeah. yeah. Normally, normally, we're the ones I'll, picking I'll do off that, the... <laughs> we're, we're the ones picking off the other teams. This year... You're gonna, there's going to be some tough decisions yeah. coming in to making this uh, 53-man roster. Yeah, there really will be. We'll get into that specifically a lot um, a little bit later in the show. I've already got my 53 that I'm looking at right now. Obviously, that's subject to change, but it'll be interesting. There's some guys that are notable cuts on my 53, so <laughs> we'll definitely get into that take a look at all the positions on the Jaguars roster and break them down. But the offseason program just ended. The Jaguars now have about five weeks before they reconvene. Um, the rookies will report to training camp on the 19th of July, quarterbacks the 21st, and the rest of the vets on the 26th. So, you know, while that's five weeks of, you know, pretty much no NFL football or NFL football talk or anything football related, really. It's really the deadest five weeks of the NFL season. Because, you know, even the even when there's not stuff happening prior to the draft, draft talk is happening. And that's like, draft talk is bigger than, you know, talk about the regular season, it seems like at this point. It's like, it's taken on a season of its own. So this is going to be a really dead five weeks, but we'll have some fun looking at some some different things than we normally do, obviously, for the next five weeks. Uh, Blake Bortles will be back out in California working with 3DQB again. He said he's going to work on some more specific stuff uh, this time around. I guess <clears throat> in what he called the first offseason, which was before OTAs and minicamp, uh, he worked on just kind of setting a, setting a foundation for positive mechanics and now they're going to fine-tune some specific things in what he calls the second offseason, which is this five-week period. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how Bortles' mechanics hold up. Obviously, that's going to be one of the biggest stories all year uh, and all, all training camp. Now, Bortles was apparently given an ultimatum by Doug Marone. Uh, if you keep turning the ball over, you're not going to be our quarterback. That's a pretty definitive statement, but I mean, any quarterback who's turning the ball over is going to get benched, mm-hmm. unless Gus Bradley's your head coach. Yeah. You're not getting benched. But, you know, it's just interesting. Doug Marone's a straight shooter. A straight shooter is, like, more than any coach I've ever really seen, maybe besides Tom Coughlin. He gives it to you straight, and I guess he does that same thing with his players, which is what you want to see. He's not... He's not one way towards the media and then another way towards the players. It seems like he's always Doug Marone. Uh, I know you guys have kept up with the Jaguars since their inception. Is this the most we've ever focused about the offensive line in June and July? Because for Bortles to succeed, you can't have the David Carr stats of being sacked 151 times over a three-year stretch. I mean, you just can't. So, I mean, the focus of who are your best five going to be I think that's got to be the number one storyline in in a partnership with Bortles and mechan- in the mechanics. Yeah, the whole thing works together. The offensive line needs to run block for Leonard Fournette and company. 
They yeah, obviously need to pass block. And, you know, if they do that, it'll be really interesting to see what these skill players and what Blake Bortles can do. Because you haven't really seen it. Bortles had better protection in 2016 than he did in years prior, but it still wasn't perfect by any means. We saw that, like we said, against the Chiefs and against several other teams last year. But, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what that offensive line can do. And it... There's just so many questions. You really don't know. How is Brandon Albert going to hold up at left tackle? Um, Where's Cam Robinson going to go? Is he going to start at right tackle? Is he going to beat Brandon Albert out at left tackle? Is he going to play left guard? If he plays left guard, is A.J. Cam out at guard? Is he a backup or does he not even make the team? Uh, Is Linder a center or is he a right guard? We don't know. If he's playing right guard, you've got Tyler Shatley or Luke Bowenko at, uh, at center, obviously. And then it seems like Parnell's locked in at right tackle. But like I said, if Robinson doesn't win the left tackle job, maybe you kick him over there. Who knows? But yeah, there's a lot riding on the offensive line this year. And it is the most we've been talking about it because it seems like everything else on the team is ready to win, except for maybe the offensive line and obviously the quarterback. <laughs> Every other position, it looks stacked. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. It's the offensive line trying to find the best five. But other spots, I know you all mentioned last week the secondary. That That's more of a depth thing. Yeah. yeah. And so there are other positional units where you're going, oh, well, these two, three guys, they could be a little bit better. You know, they're battling for those spots. But offensive line, you could just kind of shuffle things around. I think Doug Marone probably had the best quote other than Tom Coughlin talking about winning lunch. And it was talking about Bortles, how many times he wants him to throw, and saying zero. Yeah. I mean, that, that was probably the best thing of the offense, yeah. and I, I want that from Marone every single week, and I think he's delivered that. So far, he definitely has. Now, we haven't seen him after a loss, except for the end of the season, but at mm-hmm. that point, it wasn't really like it was a make-or-break type game yeah. at all. Uh and we haven't seen him after really crappy training camp practice. According to him, we haven't even seen him after a practice at all. Yeah. Because he said that OTAs and minicamps weren't practice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if there's adversity in terms of the players not giving the right amount of effort or just playing like crap in a game, we'll see how he responds to that. But it really does seem so far that he just speaks his mind. And it's really been a a nice change of pace compared to what you were getting from Gus Bradley for so long. Just the coach speak over and over and over again. Now you've got a guy that's really just talking. He's talking with the media like a regular person, not just like a coach. And and I think no matter what, uh, unless it's some kind of Armageddon situation with Blake Bortles, he's going to start all 16 games. I, I just don't think Chad Henney, Brandon Allen are nearly good enough to take that starting role. Well, here's here's one thing to keep in mind okay. that I've been thinking about a lot. If Bortles is playing terrible or just pretty bad, um, if he goes down with injury, the Jaguars are on the hook for that contract. If he's playing crappy and the team doesn't have a chance to make the playoffs, it seems like it's possible he could get benched just for the Jaguars to save their own ass with the money and also it, it, because it, it, if he gets injured 
Yeah, they're, they're on the hook for all that money if he can't pass a physical in March of 2018. It's, it's like with RG3 a couple years back in Washington, yeah. where they just sat him for the season. I, I, he might have gone. He, they might have put him on an IR just to make sure. But yeah, to me, if there was a if he was just playing awful, um, you could potentially see Brandon out, Brandon Allen come in, see what you got. You know what you have in Jack. I Henny. would rather see Allen come in than Henny, yeah, absolutely. Because Henny's not the future. No, Henny, he's he's not the present. Henny is a guy where he's not what, for me. You're you're keeping Henny because if Blake Bortles turns it around and is playing well, and you are in contention for the division, and there are very important games on the schedule, you feel comfortable if Blake Bortles goes down for a couple games. He can he can eke out a couple of wins. I don't feel comfortable with that. Well, if you're Perhaps a GM, he might not be on the team. a second year exactly quarterback who's never played a down in the regular season. Exactly, who hasn't even been on the active <laughs> roster. Yeah, on a Sunday. Yeah, so obviously, in my opinion, quarterback is by far the weakest position on the team. Yeah, but this is also a front but, office that is tied to the quarterback position. I mean, Dave Caldwell, he's he's missed on Luke Jokel. Yeah. He's so far not too hot on Blake Bortles. Not too hot on Fowler. Dante Fowler's got a lot to prove. And then Ramsey was kind of fell into his yeah. lap. Although, he could have taken someone else. He didn't. He picked Ramsey, and that was a great pick. Yeah. So, I mean, if typically a franchise quarterback is tied to the GM who drafted him. If it, they... A failure at a very premium position like that, being a high draft pick, you can probably look it up and see a correlation between GMs oh, eventually absolutely. losing their jobs. I don't know the stats so, on that, but I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, I love the comparison with RG3 because I think in terms of one-year hit wonders, it'll be the grouping of maybe top 15, top 20 all-time, Peyton Hillis, RG3, yeah. Blake Bortles, <laughs> yeah. these guys where you're like, oh, yeah, he helped me win my fantasy league, and then, yeah, you know, went crashing into the ground. I think with Bortles, you look at his numbers, seven of his eight career wins, he's thrown 33 to 38 attempts. So he, he can't be somebody that's going to throw 44-plus. He Which only he had, had to do a lot last year. Yeah, he had two early on, I think, in the season before they went to hack it. Yeah. Where he threw like 52, 54. Crazy. I mean, you just can't do that. So that's why Fournette's such a big deal for this offense. I, I, I saw a stat at the end of last year where there was, I think, about 10 games or so where he's thrown over 300 yards. It might be a little bit higher than that. Where he had never won a game. Yeah. Until – and he never won a game throwing 300 yards. Until uh, – Until late this past year. Until uh, Tennessee. Yeah. I believe. That's a crazy stat. Yeah, until Tennessee in week 16. Now, he put up big statistical numbers, but to not correlate in wins... Well, a lot of that also had to do with the fact that in 2015, when he put up a lot of 300-yard games, the defense was absolute garbage. And he was already down by two touchdowns. They couldn't stop anyone. Yeah. Uh, You know... And now it looks like it's so the cra- team. <laughs> it is so crazy how the defense flipped in one year. And the offense completely flipped from very... Very good and ascending in 2015 into 2016 just being terrible. And it was the opposite for the defense. Mm. 2015, the defense was one of the worst we've ever had in Jacksonville. 2016, they jumped up to 
sixth overall in um, in yards in yards allowed. So they add AJ Boye and Calais Campbell to that mix. Get Miles Jack in the middle. Get Barry Church playing actual safety, not just sitting in the box like Jonathan Cyprian all day. And you've got a defense that projects to be a top ten squad easily. Could push for top five status. I think one of the things I took away from Marone talking last week during OTAs, and I think it was about middle of the sessions, was saying how they're trying to speed up the tempo for Blake Bortles in the offense. Going game clock from 30, 25, 20, 16 to 14 and working on that. So Bortles, when he goes out to California, try and work on those little specifics like you've mentioned, but trying to get things amped up because this team needs to start fast. So often in 2016, it's like, oh, now you're down 7 nothing, yeah. and you need to score in the first quarter. And I think when you look at the schedule, the first four to six games, you've got winnable games at home. And this team needs to start fast at home, try and get a 10-point lead, and get some of that momentum because I think with the Doug Marone coach team, I, I think there's going to be a lot more focus on intensity. And I don't think you're going to slip and be out of the game where it's like, let's sling it around. You'll get all your numbers, but still lose by a couple of scores. Yeah. Hopefully that's accurate. I kind of see the game as a, or the season almost as a two game season. If they go and beat one or both of Houston and Tennessee the first two weeks, they're in a great position. If they lose both of those games, which they very well could do, is it another is it another just season where it falls by the wayside really quickly? I mean, last year there was so much confidence uh, after the preseason, and then the Jaguars almost beat the Packers, takes the wind out of their sails a little bit, but the fans are still confident, team's still confident, and then they just go get destroyed by San Diego, and that was the end of the season, really. I think one of the reasons I would disagree is because I still think the AFC South is one of, if not the worst division. So I think you can still kind of turn things around and maybe win at home against Houston. You can win on the road at Tennessee. I mean, you look at AFC South and probably the NFC West, where those are the two kind of competing. Seahawks are always going to be pretty good. But I feel like you always kind of have a chance. You can be within two scores of of Houston on the road. So that's the only reason I disagree that probably won't be a two-game flip, but I could I can understand yeah, that reason. They go 0 and 2. That is that, there's going to be some panic. Some serious panic. And Especially here we going go against division. And the biggest issue, I mean obviously fans are going to be fans, but does that creep into the locker room after, if you go 0 and 2? That's mm-hmm. what I would be worried about. Um, cuz most of these players haven't been here forever, but most of them were here last year. Most of them were here the year before. So they've seen how quickly things can go downhill. And and that's something, too, where we focus so much on the mechanics of Blake Bortles, where I was watching Tom Coughlin's A Football Life like a week ago, and they were interviewing different guys. He was at Boston College in Syracuse. They had Randy Edsalon, who is Coughlin's quarterback. He was one of the coordinators back in the late 70s. Doug Flutie. So I'm looking at this and thinking, you know, if, if I'm Blake Bortles, I'm trying to find Randy Edsel's cell phone number. I'm trying to, hey, can I come up for the weekend, you know, second week in July before I come back to Jacksonville? I want to meet with you. Can you pick apart my film? Those are the things I'd reach out and try and become social instead of being like, all right, let's work on the mechanics. Can't dip my arm down, elbow, all that stuff. Because yeah. I, I feel like he needs that leadership quality to where that team can't act 
after the Packers' loss. Otherwise, it's going to be 2015 all over again. Yeah. Uh, it's tough because, you know, a lot of them issues that he had last year were mechanics. But a lot of them were not. He made some terrible decisions mm-hmm. and some terrible throws. And he's done that every year since he's entered the league. And that's something that doesn't get talked about as much as his mechanics. Because the mechanics are like something tangible you can grasp onto. But if he doesn't make better decisions, he's not going to improve. That's the bottom line. How many times do we see when it's A-Rob and you're you're seeing those 15-yard passes? (laughs) No, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. Why? Because I don't think this whole idea of his decision-making being so terrible, I, I think is a little inflated. Because of his mechanics. Perhaps. But, I mean, As when you're it, throwing the ball into the middle of the field and you don't see a receiver that's, 15 yards. I understand that. But a lot of the bad decisions are not necessarily bad decisions. They could be late throws. I'll give you an example. To, to well, if you're late, that has to do with mechanics. That's but also just your clock in your head, right? The, uh, Look the, at, yes and no. Like, the mechanics... The mechanics are what set your clock, is what I'm saying. Like, your drop and your everything about your body is what sets the clock. People talk about the clock in your head. There's not a damn quarterback in the league or anybody I've ever talked to that counts in their head. It just doesn't happen. Well, it's you a go, natural thing. It's a natural thing, but it's off of the timing that you've practiced for so long. So if your mechanics are off and you don't have a good drop or one misstep or whatever, like there's times where he's like kind of fumble the ball in his hand trying to get it correct. That throws off your timing, which then throws off your decision making because you could feel rushed or whatever. So, yeah, he might not be the best decision maker. I mean, there's been times where it's like, I don't know what you're looking at, but the mechanics of your drop and everything you do pre snap to post snap can interfere with that and change your eyes. My eyes can be, I know, like, just to give an example, like, I could line up at the ball pre snap, I know exactly where. I'm reading. I know who I'm reading. I know what I want to look for. I know my coverage. He could have the checklist. And one thing that Hackett talked about um, at a clinic he spoke at is he has a checklist. All of his quarterbacks have to go through a checklist. And they work it every single day. Even when watching film, they go through a checklist. And he has to turn around. Blake Bortles has to turn around to Hackett at times and say, this is my read. So if your checklist is perfect and that ball snapped and once the bullets start flying, you have one misstep or one thing causes your eyes to go off of that. It doesn't necessarily become a bad read. It just becomes really muddy and hazy. And the best quarterbacks in the league don't make the best reads. They're the best at fighting through that muddiness and the haziness. Like uh, Aaron Rodgers last year killed us yeah. on stuff that people uh-huh. are like, yeah, you yeah. don't think it's not really a read, but it's his ability to fight through that, the haze and the, the smoke of what's going on and Get the ball to where it needs to be. Yeah, I got a I got a scenario that I'm interested to see, and you know, as a as a coach uh, who, who understands more of the X's and O's, there was a play um, the on the first series of the Houston game here where Kareem Jackson got a pick six. Pick six. Yeah, basically it's uh, there. I, I think they're on the left hash. It's basically uh, an out route. Yeah, and he was throwing it to the field, right? Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, what he was doing. Drop back, any kind of delay or any kind of elongation of the of the motion that tips off the defender, he's about to throw the ball. 
Kareem yeah. Jackson could potentially get a better jump. You know, he can he can read and react quicker than somebody, let's say, like Aaron Rodgers or David Carr, who's got a oh, lightning quick, a fast release. release. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to again as a quarterback with the checklist, he could line up, and he this is something that on Monday he could have gone on top or Tuesday whenever they go in, he could have been talking to Hackett and said like. This was my read. Yeah, that's this the is guy why I threw it. If he was, if he, if he read man, it, whatever that, your you know, read is for, the, or whatever your progression is for that, it, it looked like somewhat of a pre-snap, quick. Mm-hmm. Like he knew he wanted yeah. to go with that ball. Anything that delayed that, yeah, misstep with the foot, slow looping release. Like there's so many things, and these guys are too good to do that. Well, and that's type of situation too when it's a quick, quick drop back. Cornerbacks can read that. Yeah, and cool. they can just make a uh, basically make an educated guess and take a risk and go for the ball. And yeah, yeah. In a situation happens, like that, if you get, you're going to get that pick six. Yeah. yeah, and like I'm not saying Bortles is the best at reading. There's no doubt he he has some questionable reads or throws, but I think a, his biggest issue stems from his mechanics, and that's not just people are so. I think a, a big misconception is people have mechanics thought in their head as just your arm it's not just your arm yeah, it's, it's the it's whole your motion. eyes your arm your you know footwork. even how you hold the ball your simple foot where your foot steps on your punch step and your drive step like there are a million things that go into every throw and when it's fly bullets there's even more yeah there's no question about it now we're about halfway through the episode here so we're going to go ahead and do our uh, pop top Session here. We've got a sunshine, sunshine saison from Bold City Brewery downtown. We're gonna go ahead and pop the top here, give it a taste, let everybody know what we think. All right. Yeah, I think I think just while you're doing that, just yeah. touching on the Blake Bortles thing. There's a difference between it, it's hard to tell exactly what a bad read is. Because, like you like you're saying, you don't know what the play is designed to be. Yeah, you know there there's there's always a number one option, but when it's it's I think when what Jordan's trying to say is when it's a situation like against Oakland when he threw it, and there's just a crowd of like three or four Oakland defenders. <laughs> yeah, that's now that that could be bad read, but it also could just be a guy trusting his arm too much. Because Bortles has a strong arm, yeah. Like it's it's a known fact he has a strong arm and he's a he has that gunslinger mentality. Almost as strong as this wonderful him. Bold City beer that we <laughs> That's right. Uh, this is a saison, so it's a lighter beer. It's not super hoppy. Oh, yeah. um, Five point three alcohol, so you're getting a little bit more than you would get with your typical uh, run of the mill gas station beer that I don't even want to bring up its name. It doesn't deserve to be talked about. But you're getting a lot more flavor, a little bit more alcohol in you, and then uh, it's also light enough to definitely drink at tailgates, drink Mm -hmm. out wherever you are. Girlfriend will probably like it, so. Yeah, it's not overpowering. No, it's pretty good. At all. I love this this segment so much is because it's opening my eyes to so many different varieties (laughs) of beer. Yeah. Like, normally I just stick with the same old thing, you know, like, Dukes or Mad Manatee. Yeah. But now it's like there's we, we get such a different variety that it's like you know I'm, I'm you know I'm not really big a big dark beer fan but 
this one particular beer, you know, it was actually pretty good. Maybe I should start trying more dark beers. <laughs> That's the same thing for me, Scott. I'm yeah. usually at the end of the public aisle, like, yeah. oh, this ain't look good. I'll get one of those. Yeah, I'll sit there for like 10 minutes just like, oh, there's a lot to choose from. Which one do I go with? Which one has the prettiest can? Yeah. Huh. And that kind of just speaks to the whole craft beer revolution. It's kind of oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. 10 years ago and... In the United States, all you thought about was the big beer brands mm-hmm. that I won't mention. But now, every city you go to, they've got a craft brewery, it seems like. So that's cool. And Jacksonville's got a plethora of craft breweries. So that's awesome. Shout out to Bold City Brewery for hooking us up again. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bold mm-hmm. City Brewery. And check out their website, boldcitybrewery.com. Now... Uh, Jordan, can I just kind of interrupt? Because I I wanted Hunter's take on this because he was talking about coaching and everything a little bit last last episode. So I think in that whole package of Bortles and the offensive line, trying to find your best, the fullback. Uh, I I know you all have kind of mentioned it from time to time. The fullback, whether it's Bohannon or Williams, how is that going to help Bortles? I think his attempts go down a little bit, helps out Fournette, but... Offense as a whole, what, what's it going to do for number five? A uh, fullback gives you – Hackett said something about more versatility. Yeah. And it does give you a little more versatility because, especially to me, uh, Williams from Miami, like I think he's going to be the guy. And I think I he should be the He's guy. a tank. He's, you don't draft a fullback if you don't yeah. think he's going to win the job. But he's a wrecking ball, and he's a weapon that you can actually use with the ball in his hand. And that's what gives diversity, I think, and gives you some different look. Man, but we I, were talking about four net having tree trunks as oh like holy <laughs> crap. Marquez Williams. Yeah, he's that's a bit short that's a body very right big man. But I mean, it gives you a different look and I think for Bortles it will one, it gives you an extra body and pass protection if you need it. Um, it gives you an extra body for blocking and it, it, it allows you to dictate the box. If I can put a fullback because a tight end is a little iffy. If a tight end, it kind of limits you at times because he's on the line. You're not able to move him as much unless you do a full shift. He's not. Um, as, he, he can't use his eyes as much. And yeah, and like uh, a Mercedes Lewis, you kind of know what he's in there for. Yeah. That kind of limits you. So a fullback just kind of allows Screens, you. Right? Yeah, a lot of yeah, throwbacks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but get him out there on those screens. You're able to dictate the box so much. Like if I line up and. Like a pro eye set with a, like a strong where he's lined up to the strength of the formation. I can tell the defense what the defense is doing just because through my scouting, I know how they line up to a fullback. And you don't always get that with receivers and stuff. And it's sometimes tricky to line, figure out if they're a field or boundary team or how they do it. And a fullback just forces, and it also forces another body in the box. So you get a lot less light boxes, five, six man box, because, um, the big thing in the NFL now is playing a really light box. Like you saw um, in the Super Bowl, actually. The uh, Falcons went wide nine techs on the ends, and they had like. Which is about as far as out far as you can go as a defensive end. They had a three tech, it wasn't even a three tech, he was more of like a four, like lined up where like a three, four defensive end would line up, and then like a three. Leaving the complete middle of the field open, and they had one Mike linebacker. That's. Like an empty box, pretty yeah. much. You think you can run it, but they have their stunts and stuff. So with a fullback, I'm able to say, you know, you know, you got to condense a little bit. I'm, I know where your guys are now, and I can kind of predict what you're going to do. 
So I think for Bortles, if I'm a quarterback, if I line up, I know I got the fullback. He's an extra body that can help block. But he also tells me what they're doing is what I like about it. And I think it makes you more effective in the run game. Is Yeah, I mean, if he can run block, pass block, be a semi-effective runner, and sometimes maybe even a receiver out of the backfield, mm-hmm. how does, that, that's versatility right there. That's exactly what uh, Hackett's talking about. Yeah, I, it's a tricky position, and it's going out for a reason. There's a reason that it's dying. It's mm-hmm. a dying position. It's A lot of people don't know how to use it anymore with the spread offense. Um, and it's really hard to find a guy that wants to do it. That's really the honest truth. Like, usually a fullback, and they're going to hate – like, they're not going to want to admit it, but they're too small to play offensive line, and they're too unathletic to play running back. Yeah. That's, that's as simple as that. <laughs> they're like, just a tweener. When they're we find a, a fullback, yeah. like, our fullback in our <laughs> offense right now is a guy who's just not quite big enough to play guard, and he's just too slow, and he can't yeah. quite catch the ball well yeah. enough to play anything else. Like, yeah. that's just what they are. and. You know, it sucks, but we try and tell them, like, hey, you're the most important person on the field. Is there, uh, the, um, is there a situation where I know Blake Bortles has a lot more success statistically when you look at the numbers when there's three wide receivers on the field? Yeah. Could there be, you know, uh, three wide receivers, running back, fullback? 20, 20 personnel. 20. Yeah. Okay. 20 would be two, uh, two running backs, years, no yeah. tight ends. Yeah, yeah. Unattached tight ends. Yeah, that to to me that would give you a little bit of putting kind of a question in defense's mind, saying you know they they've got six blockers in there, they have the potential to run the ball. Yeah, what the hell? Or they can go. Or they can go deep. Yeah, that's that's a pain. It really is a pain. And if you're really good at it, Mm -hmm. it's a big pain. Like there's this idea it hasn't hit the NFL it probably will never hit the NFL um, but it's kind of taking on a little bit of college football now and it's really big in high school mm. of uh, one formation football where a team will only line up in one formation because you, you you can never predict what they're going to run and yeah they'll line up with a single receiver a twin set of some kind and then they'll line up with a, a sniffer or a fullback mm. and a, a running back and they'll line up in the same stuff and they can run power they can run counter they can run um, GT counter, they can run zone, outside zone, they can run zone slice. Like, there's basically a million things you can do. It's just so the defense can't say they run this certain yeah. play out of this formation more often than yeah. any, anything else. And really, I think the best, I think they're going to be a base 11, and I think actually Mike K said something about that. They're going to be a base 11 personnel team, which is one running one, back, one tight, one tight end. end, and Mercedes Lewis. And then I think their second would be either a 20 or a 21. Because I think if you run a 21, and unfortunately we don't have really a good tight end, but Koyak could probably do it, where he's able to be unattached, mm-hmm. and he's able to come back in and attach. That's tough because you've essentially changed personnel without changing personnel. And as a defense, you you can get caught in that no man's land of being in a nickel. All of a sudden, oh, now we got to go back to our base set or whatever. And that's tough. That's tough because you got to – be quick on your feet as a coach, but as a a player, you've got to be able to distinguish that little those little intricacies, and that's tough. It and really it, is. and it, it it just slows the mental process down for the defense. And any yeah. any split second decision, exactly. Any any kind of question you can make them hesitate. Yeah, split second is a huge advantage. Yeah, yeah. Bottom line, it's the way it works in this game, especially at the highest level in the NFL. Um, 
We're going to switch gears here a little bit. We're talking a lot about a scheme and what's going to be going on in 2017 for the Jaguars. I want to take a look back. We've got time. It's the off season. We've got five weeks of no football activities. So I got to thinking, is Fred Taylor a player that deserves to be mentioned as a Hall of Fame type player? Freddie T. And I, I, in my mind, I believed he was, but I hadn't really done the research to figure out if he if he really should be. And uh, I know you guys haven't really done a whole lot of research, but. What do you guys think about Freddie T? Do, do you think he's a Hall of Fame type guy? Do you think he was just a really good player that probably doesn't deserve to be a Hall of Fame? And keep in mind, I'm not asking do you think he will make the Hall of Fame? Because the answer to that is probably not. No. Probably not. At least but not for a while. The question is, do you think he's deserving to be mentioned in that type of sentence? We actually talked about this, what, two, three days ago, I think? Yeah. Kind of brought this up. When I was doing about some a, research. Yeah, a couple of guys, and Fred Taylor sticks out. But in my opinion, and I said this a couple of days ago, Fred Taylor is a top ten running back of all time. Like I, I legitimately think you can find a reason to put him in the top ten. I mean, obviously you're going to have Jim Brown, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders. Like You're going to have the obvious top, what, five or so. Mm-hmm. But after that, it might get a little tricky. I mean, you might have, what, uh, LaDainian Tomlinson in there. Yeah, stats um, monster. Yeah, you could throw like a... Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. Like a, I don't know, a Marshawn Lynch. But of the past 25 years, like, Fred Taylor has got to be one of the best. He's a yeah. freak athlete. I think people forget how much of a freak athlete he was. It is, it's, he was Leonard Fournette's size, but he could move... I mean, he was so he could move like Reggie Bush in terms of those shapes. It was unreal. It doesn't matter if you're a defensive back, a linebacker, defensive tackle. If you have Fred Taylor in the open field, you have about zero chance. He had lateral quickness and straightaway his, like, breakaway yeah, speed. His run against Miami. In the play, I watched the, oh my God. the longest run in playoff history. I, I watched that but the highlights the, of that the game. The longest run the in fact playoff that history. He ran away. Like, not just, you know, kind of outran people, but he was gaining ground from people. It was amazing. And I think, and I, it's kind of sad, actually. I was thinking about this, like, the, as we were talking about that and since then. As Jaguars fans who have grown up here, we've kind of almost took him for granted, yeah. I think. And I think piggybacking with the running back, Maurice Jones-Drew, we had both of them. Yeah, that's, that's insane. <laughs> like, I want to. I want to say that's crazy. The monocle, the the moniker, uh, fragile Fred, is absolutely undeserved. Well, it got it's established good. early in his career, and it died down a little bit. But national media people, I still, I they still kind of believe the fragile Fred thing. You're right. It couldn't be further from well, the truth. Well, What's your stance? Well, and, and if you go on to Pro Football Reference, yeah, exactly. That is his nickname. In parentheses, oh. where it's like, what place? The, the one thing with Fred Taylor, I think, I always love going to his Wikipedia page. He needs to change that picture. It's just like, oh he's kind of stunned as he's at a football <laughs> camp. It's like, dude, you, you've got other better pictures than that. Like the breakaway run against the Dolphins. But I just remember those games against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. Where like, he's going to rack up so much yardage, touchdowns. Such a freak. Yeah, he's the reason the Jags are in this game. 
those are the things I remember. And then him kind of passing the torch to MJD. Running for a million miles against the Colts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that team. I, I think, uh, what? gosh, who was the third string running back that year? He almost hit 100 yards in that game. Both Fred Taylor and Mojo ran for over 100 yards. And a third guy almost hit 100 Maybe yards. Alvin I can't remember who yeah, it Pierman. was. Pierman. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's just I mean, crazy. Yeah. Fred Taylor... It, God, it's like, and that's the thing I think that hurts him is the media's perception, yeah, and a lot of the fans' well, perception. The fragile Fred, but I think in Jacksonville. Well, yeah, and, but I think the the players' perspective in the NFL should have more of a say. He's, and I think if you went around to players who were playing from '95 to 2005, oh, we will go around to that, <laughs> to that very soon. But look, at, just, they're gonna say like. He's one of the hardest people to ever play. Just like look at the numbers. He's seventeenth overall, all time. He's got eleven thousand rushing yards. Yeah, seventeenth overall in um, career rushing yards. Seventeenth in it's front crazy. of. Now, is it possible? Like what people in behind him aren't are, are in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> I'll tell you, you right now. Like, I will tell you the answer to that right now, buddy. He's just. Um, he he outrushed uh, tons of players such as Earl Campbell, Larry Zonka, Bo Jackson. There's all sorts of guys that he is just way in front of in terms of that. Guys that are in the Hall of Fame. There's over 45 running backs in the Hall of Fame, 32 from the modern era, and he has better statistics than most of them. Now, I want to get into a little bit of a... Uh, it doesn't have to be a monologue, but I want to throw out some stats here that really blew me away in terms of the research I did and uh, kind of convinced me that he de- definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and uh, absolutely deserves to at least be in the conversation. And those running backs I was telling you about, some of them that are in the Hall, O.J. Simpson, Earl Campbell, John Riggins, uh, Eddie George isn't in the Hall of Fame, but he was another great. Sean Alexander is another contemporary that he outrushed. Priest Holmes, all these guys he outdid. Um, like Scott said, he's 17th all time in rushing yards. He is uh, 27th all time in yards per carry with 4.6, which is better than Hall of Famers Marcus Allen, Jerome Bettis, Earl Campbell, Larry Zonka, Eric Dickerson, Tony Dorsett. Marshall Falk, and many more. All of those guys are just absolute legends. He has eight career touchdowns of 50 yards or more, which is tied for fifth all-time among running backs. He has the third most consecutive games with 100 yards rushing. During the 2000 season, he ran for over 100 yards in every game from week four through week 12. In every game. That's ridiculous. Eight games. Nine games. Nine games. During that nine-game span, he rushed for 1,212 yards, averaged 5.2 <laughs> yards per carry, and crossed the goal line 13 times. That's a good season. It's an amazing season. Nine games. And that season, he missed three games. He only played in 13 games, uh, and he was still number six in, in total rushing yards that year. And he averaged the most yards per game rushing of any running back that season. That was 2,000. Uh, as a rookie in 1997, he scored 17 touchdowns while splitting times with time with James Stewart. 
It's the third most touchdowns by a rookie in NFL history. He had what, like twelve hundred yards? Yeah, he had over twelve hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns. Um, he wasn't amazing after his rookie season in terms of getting the ball in the end zone, but a lot of that had to do with the Jaguars' offense. But despite that, he still scored seventy-two career touchdowns combined, sixty-six rushing, which has him in the top forty. Which again according to how many players are already in the Pro Football Hall of Fame at his position, that's a Hall of Fame stat. And that's his worst stat. Number 37 all-time is his worst stat in terms of big-time running back stat. So, so Jordan, I'm, I'm listening to all of this. If the Jaguars make the Super Bowl over the Titans, it, how much different is this conversation? Well, if the Jaguars if, make the Super Bowl over the Titans, they win the Super Bowl. Yeah. If they win the opinion. Super Bowl, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. What, what about just making it? Is well, my point is, if they would have made it... No, 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 no. I'm, I'm yeah. saying... No. <laughs> I know I'm what you're saying. That. <laughs> if, if they make it, all those people see him... Uh, Perhaps I mean Eddie didn't make it, but Fred's stats are I, significantly I mean, I, better. Eddie than George Eddie's. was only a quick blip I, on the radar. Yeah. Right I think now. whether or not they even make it or win it to the Super Bowl, it's impossible for a human being not to take in, take to account the state of the franchise that is today. Because yeah. right now we're a joke. Mm-hmm. We're the butt of a national joke. We're always you know we're we're Cleveland. We're we're just the the bottom of the barrel. So it's it's. What have you done for me lately? And that, that hurts the past players. And there's, there's no denying it. Yeah. Because no matter what we do in the past, <clears throat> we're just thought of as, oh, you know, they're, they're just, just the Jags being the Jags. You well, know. it's funny because it, like, it hurts us in the national eyes or hurts them in the national eyes. But I think it actually makes them look better to us. Like the struggles. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy how it's like such a reverse. Because like, looking back... They were so kind of, yeah, you know, whatever. Like, when when Coughlin was let go, that whole, like, the Mark Burrell stuff and Jimmy Smith, Fred Taylor, Tony Vaselli, it was kind of like a pushed-away thing. If that started a, a, a sort of revolution to where we were known for just being a perennial playoff contender, that's one thing. But if it's – right now, it's just a blip on the radar. Yeah, we yeah. made it – we were one game away from the Super Bowl. Twice. Okay. Twice. Twice, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Like, you know, how many teams have done that? The, the the Bills made it to four straight Super Bowls. They're not thought of as, you know, this, they're, they're a well-thought-of franchise. But yeah, they're, somewhat. They're, but they're even though they've still got, the like, Bills. the longest streak, <laughs> one of the longest playoffs. streaks of non yeah. But, yeah, and you're absolutely right about that. Uh, the national perspective and the local perspective couldn't be further mm-hmm. further from each other for the most part. Now, Fred Taylor, during his time in the NFL from 1998 to 2010, outrushed every single running back during that time period besides LaDainian Tomlinson and Edron James. That's insane. That's crazy. He has the 12th most 1,000-yard seasons of all time. And, I mean, you know, you're talking about a guy that's legitimately... And the top 40 of every single running back stat of all time. And most stats, he's in the top 20. And some, he's in the top 15. I mean, this is a guy that dominated throughout his career in an era that was dominated by running back play. Mm-hmm. He did it the best for the longest. 
It's really remarkable. <laughs> the more I think about it, the more I think the Super Bowl might have an effect. Because just look at Terrell Davis. His career compared to Fred Taylor yeah. is nothing. Still a much higher a, profile. Without a Super Bowl MVP. Mm-hmm. And a 2,000-yard season. But he had and what? playing with John Elway. He had what? Five, five six seasons of, of high product productivity? Yeah. Literally, and, yeah. Five he, <laughs> that's all it was. We, we, on the first couple podcasts we did, this was a big talking point. Yeah. Other than the Super Bowl MVPs and the, and, and the, the trophies, which are huge, are, it's, it's a huge weighing factor. I mean, that's, it, that, there's no walking around that. But Fred Taylor, career to career, in regular season, it's not even close. Well, and then even you look at playoffs, too. He's yeah. one of the top guys in terms of total rushing yards. I think he's in the 20s there. So he's just an all-around stud in terms of stats. And then you got to look at what other players say about him. Jim Brown, who's widely believed by many to be the best running back of all time, says Fred is one of the greatest backs that I've seen in a long time. He's multiple times talked about Fred and how he has an affinity for him. Troy Polamalu is probably the hardest-hitting safety from Fred Taylor's era, or one of them, says Fred Taylor's probably the best running back I've played against. Uh, You've got Ray Lewis, who's ranted and raved about Fred Taylor many times, saying he's one of the most talented backs in the league. You never want to play the Jaguars because you got Fred Taylor. So you look around, you've got the statistical impact, You've got the impact on players around the league that are Hall of Fame caliber players. And then you take a look at the impact that he had on the team. The Jaguars have a 543 winning percentage with Fred Taylor on the field. 543. Without him on the field, 37%. So it goes down from 54% to 37%. Now, for some reference, a if the Jaguars, if you only include their Fred Taylor games, they have the sixth best winning percentage of any franchise in NFL history. You take away Fred Taylor, the worst by far. If that doesn't say something about an impact on a team, then I don't know what does. You know, I, I can't wait to listen to this podcast maybe in a year or two when we're talking about Tony Baselli possibly being in the whole thing. Yeah. Because I think he's one of those kind of blocks that if it falls right for the Jaguars and Tony Baselli, he gets in. I think this picks up a lot more steam. Yeah, and it should. Uh, Baselli obviously is the guy that would get in first if if any Jaguar does get in. He made the finals this year. Uh, you want to look at a hell of a good winning percentage. I haven't done it yet, but look at Tony Baselli's winning percentage in Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah. uh, Oh, that 99 team. Man, 14 and 2 helps that out a lot. But the, the thing about Fred is, Fred did it with two different regimes. Yeah. And he still had the 54% win percentage when he was on the field with the team. It's pretty remarkable. And uh, he's a guy that did it for the team, for the franchise. He did it uh, for other Hall of Fame players. They respect the crap out of him. And he did it statistically. And if he played in any other market, I think he would probably already have been a Hall of Fame finalist. No doubt. If so, he's playing for the Colts, he's well, a Hall of Famer. If he's playing for the Colts, he's Edron James. But Edron James wasn't as sexy of a runner as yeah. Fred. Because just when you watch Fred play, it's just like poetry in motion. Yeah, so he's, he's, 
When I watch him play, it reminds me of Muhammad Ali's famous yeah. statement. You know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Mm-hmm. He literally had moves of a 190-pound back, but had the power of yeah. the biggest fullback in the game. So he's just a remarkable athlete. Now, we're getting really close to pushing time here. We're already almost at an hour. So we'll quickly run through some other things. Uh, Telvin Smith, uh, he was featured in Pro Football Focus, as he is so often. Uh, He's improved every year he's been in that league. In 2016, he made a big jump. I think it was seven points in terms of his PFF grade. Do you guys believe he's in line for another big jump this year, or maybe is he reaching his ceiling? What do you guys think? I mean, I think I think he keeps going up. I do too. Yeah. He's a free. He's a prototypical will linebacker. He's self motivated. That's yeah. for sure. I think and he he's might. A freak I think he might put more weight on himself, knowing that Miles Jack is he's the young guy. He's still learning. Um, it's Paz isn't right next to him like like normal. So you know he might he might feel like he has to do more. Which looking at the past couple of years, you know he's capable. Yeah. Of doing it. What do you think? I, I think he's going to be somebody that's one of the benefactors of more turnovers. Seven interceptions last year, all the takeaways, bottom of the NFL. So I think he's one of those players like maybe a Jalen Ramsey or a Barry Church or even Gibson that gets a, a few more fumbles picked up or maybe a pick six here and there. But I think he keeps going up. I don't think it's maybe as great as those first couple of years, yeah. but I think it's going to be... Well, yeah, he, I mean, if he was going to equal his jump, he'd jump from 83 to 90, which would put him in, like, the top five of any outside linebacker. And so he, that would yeah, be he would be massive making, like, one, he would make, like, top linebacker money. Oh, yeah, he'd make Which I, I think he could do that in two or three years. Yeah. Uh, whether it's in Jacksonville or not. <laughs> exactly. Blair Brown's sitting right behind him. We'll see how Blair Brown does uh, this training camp. Now... We're not going to be able to get to our 53-man roster predictions as a whole, but my notable cuts I have. Corey Grant, running back position is very deep. He's the fourth guy. I think he's an odd man out. They really have everything they need in the running back position. Leonard Fournette's the bell cow. Chris Ivory, great second guy, and TJ Yeldon should be a fantastic third down back. I think you. the only – Thing that would hang that up for me is if he, he's the kick returner. He's a kick returner. He brings something that no one else on the team can. Yeah, he's the fastest guy on the team and besides maybe Meyer. Chris Ivory, the style of play that he has, he's shown that he's been not injury prone, but when you when you run as physical as he does, there's it's bound to happen. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, And like I said, this is not anything set in stone. This is just like after I've broken down the roster, what I'm seeing. I also think Rashad Green has a very good chance to not make the team. Draft D.D. Westbrook, a guy like Aurelius Ben, doesn't make it easy for Rashad Green to make the team because Ben has so much special teams value. Uh, And Green has not proved it. Last year he didn't prove anything. He had an injury-riddled season. The season before, he proved himself as a 
dynamic punt returner, but he hasn't done anything as a receiver in Jacksonville. And how many players are on this team where it's like, if they can just get back to their 2015 season? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blake Bortles, Rashad Green, Smoot when he was at Illinois. Allen Robinson, Allen yeah. Burns, yeah. all these guys. It, yeah. Whether they were in college or with the Jags, it's like, man, if they could get Gibson, right? When he had all those interceptions. Yeah. Who would have thought we'd be pining for the glory days of a four-win season? <laughs> exactly. That's a, a beautiful five. way to put it. Now, I've also got Neil Sterling not making the team. I think it's going to be hard for the Jaguars to keep four tight ends and keep a fullback. So you think what? Rivera? Rivera, Mercedes Lewis, Lewis, and Koyak. Yeah, and I could be wrong, but uh, Sterling is definitely the least versatile guy out of all those guys, in my opinion. He, I think Rivera, he can't block. Rivera coming in puts him on the out. Yeah. Now, another guy who we thought could potentially be a starter when he was brought in as a fourth-round pick out of Louisville. He was brought in as a free safety. He's now been moved back and forth a little bit at the safety spot. But James Sample, he can't stay healthy. He's just been the invisible man. Can't stay healthy, and now you've got Barry Church, who's absolutely going to start. And Gerard Wilson, or Jared Wilson, however you say his name, he's been balling out so far uh, the last two off-seasons. So he's a guy that they really like, and I think I would feel more comfortable as him being the backup than a guy who is he available ever? No. Uh, Josh McNary, probably not a name a lot of guys know, but he was brought over as a special teams type ace. Problem is, the Jaguars added other special teams aces yeah. at his same position. Audi Cole is there, Laurent um, T. McCray is there. I just think Josh McNary probably doesn't make it. They're not going to keep all those linebackers as yeah. strictly special teams and depth guys. So. That's uh, what I've got in terms of guys I think that are going to get cut. Um, I think what I might have missed here is the offensive line. You might be seeing maybe an Earl Watford get cut or a Chris Reed, uh, someone like that potentially. On the defensive line, Michael Bennett could get cut. I don't think there's anyone else that got bid at a big risk that's a real name that you've seen around here lately. So, yeah, those are my guys. Um, obviously, when you factor in the three uh, special team starters, long snapper, kicker, and punter, it makes it really competitive at the other positions. It really does. So that'll be really fun to watch. We'll get into more of that. Uh, let's take a look around the AFC South running backs. What do we think? Uh, what is the best squad in terms of running running backs? It's got to be. It's and you got the Marco Murray, uh, who just has... A fantastic skill set for the exotic smash mouth of Mike Malarkey. <laughs> and, you know, behind him, you've just got the manimal from Jacksonville, Derrick Henry. Uh, that's a stacked running back group. Yeah. And you add in the fact that Mariota can get it done with his legs and they have a dominant offensive line. That is the running back group, maybe in the NFL. Yeah. No, it's. <laughs> they're, they're definitely one of the last few teams that really are embracing that power style football. And we're kind of getting back to that this yeah. year, it seems like. So that'll be fun. Who can do it better? Yeah. I mean, that'll the Jaguars a... have the highest touted guy coming out out of any of the running backs and Fournette, so we'll see how that goes. Obviously, the Titans uh, have a better offensive line, one would think. Now, the Jaguars starting five in the offensive line could end up looking pretty good, but we'll, that remains to be seen. Uh, the Texans, I would put at third yeah. in front of the Colts. Frank Gore's a legend. 
he's a walking legend. But um, yeah, I don't. There's know. not much behind him, man. He's really old. He's had fumble issues lately. Uh, the Texans have Lamar Miller. They drafted Scott's boy from Texas, you? Deontay Foreman. Uh, you give me a guy that's 230 pounds that can run a 4-3 or 4-4. That's, that's scary at the running back position. I think, I think basically what you're doing is comparing Chris Ivory and um, Lamar Miller and, the, uh, and um, Foreman and Fournette. And to be honest, Fournette wins that one. Easy. And... Lamar Miller's a nice back. I've never thought much of him. He's a good back in my yeah. opinion. His average is he always pretty Chris high. Ivory. He can make big plays. I think he I think he edges out Chris Ivory, yeah, but he'll be Chris Ivory. You have the, the brighter future is in Jacksonville. I think the 100%. the fact of not the one two punch, but the one two three punch of the Jaguars. Yeah. Is I mean it's gotta be talked about. Like, yeah, they haven't Plus, had stellar individual careers necessarily. But I think the fact that you have a Leonard Fournette who's gonna could carry the ball what 20, 25 times a game, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Ivory maybe tennis, you know, pushing towards that ten, and T.J. Yeldon, his I think his biggest factor is gonna be third down yeah. out of the backfield. Like if you look at his college career, his ability to catch the ball and be a passing game factor is what makes him intriguing. He led the ta- he, he led the Jaguars in targets one game last year. He had 11 catches in a game last year. I he, think he only had like 30-something yeah. yards. That's crazy. Like, he's a very he's effective open-field runner. Yeah. Like his, his shiftiness in that open field, but still trying to elude some tackles. Is yeah, when he's not in a foot race, he's going to be an effective runner. Yeah, and I think he's that one, two, three punch is uh, very effective and really just... It's on the it's on the offensive line and it's on that group right there. Yeah. Now we're gonna wrap up the episode here with my favorite segment. Keep one, let one walk. Last week we had Blake Bortles and Dante Fowler. This week we'll go with guys who have a little bit more confidence behind their name. Leonard Fournette, Jaguars first round pick, by all accounts an absolute beast out of LSU, versus Malik Jackson. $90 million man, Ooh. racked up six and a half sacks last year, most of which came in the second half of the season. As a tackle. He played mm-hmm. lights out. He played lights out at the end of last season. Who are we going with here? Are we taking the, into consideration the rest of the team when we make this decision? No, just the two. Or is no, this no, yeah. <laughs> sure, consider the rest of the team. God. Yeah, like, if, if you had to let one of these guys get away from the Jaguars... Who that? Who's who's it gonna be? You, you're, you're an SOB. I'm gonna like, that sucks. Yeah, this sucks. This is <laughs> I'm gonna let oh, I'm gonna let Leonard Fournette go. Oh, I know. I don't want to. I really don't want to. But I have to. The only thing, the thing that drives it over the top is the proven factor of Malik Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yes, like the fact that he's done it and he's done it to the highest level of winning a Super Bowl makes it. And he's only what 26, 27. Yeah. Like he's got five years left. Leonard Fournette, we don't know. And that uncertainty, yeah, he could come out and be like the next, you know, Jim Brown, but that's not a guarantee. So that I, affects me. I agree with your reasoning. Importance does not, like, to me, the importance of the running backs obviously higher than a defense attack. I agree with your reasoning. I disagree with your decision. All right. Malik Jackson is clearly, at this point, the better pro because he's done. Fournette's an unknown commodity. Right. But there are, there's contingency plans on that defense. 
You're not relying on Malik Jackson to be the dude. Yeah, I mean, Calais Campbell could bounce inside. You've got Sheldon Day Sheldon right Day could, could yeah. fill in. He might not have the impact that he does. He's still but you're still going to a solid player. Fournette could be the face of this offense. He could be the focal point. He could get the ball every single down. He could be the next you need, This is an That's offense right. starved for stars and playmakers. We've got a quarterback who's still working on his motion and his mechanics in year four. You've got wide receivers who had a good year. They made One of them made the Pro, pro Bowl, but last year they couldn't hang on to the ball. They couldn't get open. Yeah. They couldn't understand different coverages. To me, offense is what drives this league. Defense, you got to have a good defense to make the playoffs, but offense, offense is what makes you win. And right now... We we have Allen Robinson. Marquise Lee is nice, and Allen Hearns just got the big contract. Outside of that... D.D., unproven. Okay, D.D., yeah. But Fournette, he was drafted to be the dude. He Maroon wants him to be the dude. Yeah, he's going to get the opportunity. He's going to have every opportunity to succeed here. So to me, I would pick Fournette because... You just got to be able to put points on the board. Yeah. Look at last year. I mean, you can only hold the offense back so long before, you know, it's just the defense starts getting fatigued. Mm-hmm. They're on the field for 90 snaps a game. But it, to me, it's, it's Fournette. It, this league is turning all about offense, and he's just, he's just the guy. Um, I mean, that really is a coin flip. Yeah. I, <laughs> I agree with Hunter enough. But I feel as if I get Leonard Fournette on the rookie deal, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the gamble and go at number seven. And number twenty-seven. Man. Well, I, I still think of that number seven <laughs> yeah. with the yellow. I, I'm I'm gonna go Fournette. I, I think just too much sadness with Toby Gerhardt stuff <laughs> inside the the red zone, and, and the the fact that four straight plays. Are don't we have this new stat like every year of it has been since 20 whatever since a Jaguar got a thousand receiving yards and then that got checked off we had a stat with like could somebody get to this sack total and that got checked off now it's nobody's done it since MJD in 2011 so I'm gonna keep Leonard Fournette I I just I think he can be not quite Fred Taylor but get us back to those glory days that's tough. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah that, that's just it's that tough, one. and that's the idea. Quick question: I'm Trying to make it tough. After your answer, I got a I got a proposition for you. All right, I mean, I'm taking Fournette all day. I love Malik Jackson. Love him. Yeah, I think he might be as vital to the defense as anybody else out there. But got to put points on the board. Got to dominate the ball. Yep. Got to just hold on to the ball for a while and keep the defense off the field exactly. for a little bit. Leonard Fournette, give it to me all day. God, that's hard. That really is hard. It is. Lightning hard. round. I, I texted you guys oh, a picture. Uh, Las Vegas has over under Leonard oh, yeah. Fournette, 900 yards, six and a half touchdowns. Over and under. Let's go with Richard first. I'll go over. Yeah. On both? On both? Yeah, I'll, I'll go over on both. Yeah, we're all in the same. What was it? I think, what was it, 900 yards and six and a half touchdowns? Yeah. I'd take that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, I think he God, needs to really for tough. us to have any success. It is tough because like nine hundred's like hey, if he yeah. gets if he gets nine hundred, I think what well, Vegas is so spot <laughs> on. TJ T- T- Yeldon had a spotty rookie season. And he he got, got like eight hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred yards. Yeah, I go, I go over on t- 
touch. I'd go over on yards for sure. The touchdowns. It is could the be close, but he's the guy. Depending on what happens. But the reason I am questionable on touchdowns is because when he gets inside the five, is it going to be him? Yeah, I, I think it will be. I but, think it you will know, be Fred, most likely. But he's the guy that's going to get us there. Is it the t- you know? Is yeah. he too tired to keep going? Who there's, knows? there's running backs every year that have great rushing seasons, but don't get like the 10, 15 yeah. touchdowns. Yeah. So you never know. I'd take the over on both. Probably. He's going to be featured. He's going to have the opportunity. And nothing that you've ever seen from this guy would suggest that he can't get a ton. So you heard it here first. Draft him first overall in your fancy draft. <laughs> <laughs> that is something I've been thinking about. I've been seeing second, third round. I, me mean, too. That is pretty scary for me. I don't I know if I can do that. I could do third round. In a non-keeper league. Yeah, I don't know if I can wow. do it. But... We'll see. So we've got Leonard Fournette over Malik Jackson. Leonard Fournette's going to get a million yards rushing this year <laughs> and a million touchdowns. So uh, Hall of Famer, book it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he can Set be a one-year wonder. He's going to make it in. It doesn't matter. Um, Damn, that's a hard one. God, that's going to bother me for a couple of days yeah. now. This has been a really fun episode. I really appreciate you coming on and not just being a guest of the show, but you know, sticking around for the whole show and talking with us about everything we had to cover. Love it. I really Thank you. It. Thank you for the beer. Thank you for the cat company. <laughs> Thank you Brewery for the beer. <laughs> I will. Thank you. <laughs> um, you can find Richard Miller at Miller on Sports on Twitter. You can find him broadcasting all sorts of different UNF sporting events, basketball. What other sports do you do? Uh, let's see. We'll have ESPN3 for men's soccer, women's soccer, maybe a little bit of track and field. We're going to try and add women's swimming. Uh, we've got baseball, softball, radio for men's basketball, do ESPN3 for women's basketball, and volleyball. So, so pretty much everything. If you're, listening, yeah, everything. if you're listening to a UNF broadcast or watching them on ESPN3, that's the voice you're hearing right there, Richard Miller. So, again, thanks so much for coming on the show. I had a really great time today. It's been a lot of fun. I'd like to remind everybody our membership program is still going on on our website, genjag.com. You can find that at the membership tab on the left side of the page if you're on desktop. On mobile, just open up the nav screen. You'll see membership there. Uh, There should also be a uh, little bar at the top of the page that allows you to join now. But... Yeah, go check that out. It's 40 bucks. You get to eat and drink for free at every Jaguars home game tailgate. You get a t-shirt, koozie, sticker, discount card that gets you discounts at Metro Diner, Burrito Gallery, Mellow Mushroom, Sports Mania, a lot more places. So it's a great deal, and we have a lot of fun together. So make sure to go check that out, genjag.com slash membership.html. And uh, again, follow Richard Miller at Miller on Sports. You can follow Hunter Evans at Coach H underscore Evans. Follow Scott Klein, who slipped out to the bathroom on us. I guess the beer's <laughs> running through him a little bit too quick here. Follow him at Scott Klein one on Twitter. You can follow myself, Jordan DeLugo, at Jordan DeLugo on Twitter. And thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a great day, Duval. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to the GenJag Podcast with your host, Jordan DeLugo. Online at GenJag.com. Twitter at Generation Jag. Facebook and Instagram at Generation Jaguar. Block and teal all day. We'll catch you next time. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.